0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.
1: Navigating the journey called life doesn't get any easier as we move through it, but we can learn from what we have within us to make it more enjoyable in the long run. Welcome to Mental Sherpa. By Theta Spring. Your host is Alexandra Ginelli. In our program, we set out to provide you with the undiscovered wisdom within you to handle even life's bumpy spots. Now, here is the host, founder, and practitioner of Theta Spring, Alexandra Ginelli.
2: Hello everybody, this is your host, Alexandra Ginelli on the Mental Sherpa Show. Today, I wanted to jump back into the idea of identity. Who are we? Who can we become? How do we show up in the world? Which, as you know, on The Mental Sherpa Show Mission, life doesn't get easier. We just get to know ourselves better. And my guest today actually has done a lot of inspection of people's identities in a really unique and different way. So today, I wanted to bring on Bradford Noble, who is a very well-known photographer and writer that we have the pleasure of actually getting to interview here in his home in La Jolla, California. So, Bradford, welcome. Thank you for hosting us here.
3: Well, thanks for having me, Alex. It's great to be be a part of this.
2: Yeah, so I was hoping you could tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, and so they can get to know you.
3: All right, well, I guess I made a name for myself as a photographer to begin with, and I did that for 20 years, and um, I shot, you know, all kinds of world famous celebrities and actors and supermodels i mean this was back when supermodel was a real thing right right instead of a catchphrase (laughs) um but like in the 90s in paris and it was a whole time of um of super super identity you know where everyone created these identities like even even supermodels had identities like linda evangelista and naomi campbell and they all had personalities and it was it was the end of the 80s, and the 80s was a whole era of, of I, um, you know, like diva. Yeah. You remember the diva? It was diva? A real
2: branding. I mean, we just last week or a couple weeks ago had spoken with Marcus Glover, who does branding, and he was talking about how branding for personality is the hardest. How do you brand yourself? But it sounds like these people you worked with really had it
3: nailed. Well, yeah, and it was interesting because... Like in the 80s, everyone, the diva mentality was the thing. So you branded yourself based on how outrageous your diva was, right? So then when you get into the 90s and in the aughts, they don't, um, and certainly now, the diva mentality is sort of out, so anybody that is super diva is sort of D class A, you know what I mean? Right. But it all ties into um, who we are as people and how we identify ourselves and and the attachments that we all have on identity itself.
2: Right. Right. You know, Bradford. Uh, before we started this interview, was actually showing me one of his. Uh, photography books of some of his incredible works and it included you know let's go through this book a bit it, it alicia, starts there's alicia. it opens with alicia keys in this incredible photo
3: and there's, b. there's arthur. b
2: arthur and these were all people that you've worked with you wrote articles on yeah them. and i
3: got to interview them so it was really interesting because to, to take their picture and to interview them you get to know them in a, in a totally different way i mean like People, when they're being photographed, they open themselves up to you in such a personal manner because they have to trust you. You have to earn their trust, but they they have to let their guard down because they have to trust you enough to like because I get people to do crazy things. Right? right. So, you know, they have to they have to let you take them off of their path, because normally when you have an actor or especially a musician, musicians identity is all sculpted around um Their music and their music persona, which is a little different than actors. Actors can be different things on the screen because they're playing a role, right? right? I mean, obviously, actors tend to get typecast, but good actors transcend their typecasting. So, in terms of identity, actors can have a very different... appeal. You know, they they don't have to latch on but musicians on the other hand because you're really only hearing them sure sing or you're only seeing them in interviews, they have to have this mystique.
2: Right. So
3: after the 80s diva went out of style, then there was this whole aloofness that act that you know a lot of musicians carried through. They were just like me and my entourage, and we don't speak much. And right, you the know,
2: introverted style, the styles. introverted
3: right, rather than the extroverted diva, you had the introverted, and it was a way that they could um, fabricate their their identities and personas and keep them close to themselves. So that you really didn't know who they were. So that
2: made your job really interesting to sort of meet with these actors. We've got Josh Hartnett here, Rosie O'Donnell.
3: Rosie was very interesting because I got to photograph her, for instance, in her house, right? And it was for a parenting magazine when she and her wife had just adopted, uh, just had a baby. Yep. Um, and she had this really fake smile most of the time for photos, mm. right? So I... Um, rather than, because I had, you know, the cover photo with the baby, holding the baby with her fake smile, right, right? and I'm like, all right we got that covered, but let me photograph you um, playing with your daughter so I have this really great picture that I like I mean, I have lots of pictures of Rosie O'Donnell, because I photographed her a number of times, and this time, I was photographing her playing with her daughter, Chelsea, and it was just a real moment between mother and daughter, that doesn't it's not a, like, here I am putting on a fake smile, it's, this is a moment, and that showed me who she really was like this is a kind caring person because most of the time Rosie O'Donnell she's kind of gruff yep and she she doesn't come across as being kind and caring at all
2: no I wouldn't say so but
3: she's very cool actually so um I liked that and then Josh Hartnett he was kind of a dud to be honest um, Interesting,
2: you know, I had such a crush on him after the Black Hawk Down movie. It yeah. was like, ugh. Then I sort of lost it towards his other work, but maybe it was that whole Black Hawk Down. You know.
3: Yeah. Well, he had a, he was a flash in the pan. I think that because he didn't play the media as much as he sh- he should have. He's, his success was um, short. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had quite a bit of success, you know, but then he's gone. Like, you never see Josh Hartnett anymore. And it's because he was an introvert, and he didn't play the game of Hollywood.
2: I was going to say, so going back to the diva mentality, it's like he needed to be a little more diva.
3: Well, or at least show up to those places like the Ivy or, you know, wherever is in, you know, the Mondrian or wh- right. whatever. Wherever people are hanging out and wherever, wherever the press wants play to Play the
2: identity it. more.
3: You have to because it's Hollywood it's the Hollywood game, you know? You can't just, you know, show up in a movie and then not not be seen ever again, you know? Right, Especially right. if you're not like Meryl Streep, you know? Meryl Streep doesn't have to go anywhere, okay? Right. She's Meryl Streep. She's but, Meryl Streep. <laughs> but, you know, then you have these starlets that come and go, and if they don't play the game, then they disappear.
2: Right, absolutely. So tell me, show me a few more of these pictures that are in here.
3: Well, this is one of my very dear friends, Robert Verdi, and he... Um, He's a very interesting person. You know, some of these celebrities are well-known and some of these celebrities are what I would call MTCs, minor television celebrities, <laughs> which is not a slight by any chance. But, um, but Robert had his um, had a show, like a design show. And anyway, I just became friends with him. Part of what I do in my portraits is because it's not so much about how famous you are, it's more about who you are as a person. Right. So that's why I like to interview them.
2: And if you, for my listeners at home or wherever you're listening, these the photo book itself here, it's a picture of the celebrity, and then next to it is a whole article that Bradford Yeah, that I
3: wrote. And I, fascinating interviews, because um, as a life coach, because I'm also a life coach, and as a life coach, you can dig, you know, to find out where how people tick, yep. you know, and it's not to exploit them, it's just to merely, because I'm a curious person, it's merely just to to um, uncover, like, who these personas really are. Because I don't care about your brand. I care about who you are. And I want to hear what you have to add. I think that's part of also being a New Yorker for so long. Of course. It's that you, New Yorkers don't, it's not like Los Angeles, which is who are you and what can you do for me? It's who are you and what do you have to say? That's New York, right? They care about what are you saying? I don't care about who you are.
2: Well, let's talk about what you're saying in terms of your work in, as a whole. How it? What is the takeaway that people, if they looked at it, what what is it that you were saying through all
3: your photos and work? Well, okay. So my work tended to be um, when I was shooting celebrities, it tended to be like a blend between uncovering who this celebrity was and taking them into my fantasy world because I am a you know pretty much a pop artist, right? So um, a lot of pop sensibility and crazy and zany and fun and, or even just um, electric, right? And some people's personalities don't gear themselves to that kind of Approach mm-hmm. to portraying themselves, right? So if I have, for instance, B. Arthur sitting there playing an electric guitar sitting in an egg chair from the 60s, she's just like, but I don't play the guitar. And I'm like, it's okay, B. I I just... It was I'm, a fantasy it's of yours. Just, it's just like the whole set was, you know, this whole 60s modern mod thing and here she is playing a, you know, and she was just like, but I don't get it because I don't do this. And I'm like, but you're going to do it with me today. So you really...
2: <laughs> Also, not only are you getting to know them, you're taking them out of their comfort zone in some way. Too. Exactly,
3: and that's the whole thing about like how you have to crack their shell, right? You know, and it's like cracking the shell of anybody is so important. I mean, it's like I was just at a political fundraiser for somebody that I'm not even going to vote for, and uh, but I had a wonderful conversation with this woman, totally opposite side of, of the political spectrum than that that I am, but we found common ground. And you can always find common ground whenever you're speaking to somebody, you know, it's like, um, I, you know, I, I always tell people I have a lot of redneck besties Mm -hmm. because, um, because I, I love them and you know, I'm their only token gay, right? Right. So they're like, oh, I've never met a gay person before. And I'm like, well, I'm sure your girlfriend has a hairdresser, (laughs) you know, but, um, but it's one of those things of like, I don't, I don't, um, I like to, um, I like to deep you know, reach down into who people are and actually like discover them and bring them out because then they can be a totally different person with me.
2: Well, I love this next set of photos that we're looking at. Fears and phobias. You know, that touches home with me being a hypnotherapist. Exactly. We work on a lot of fears and phobias. And just so the people at home can know, there's one where it's fear of snakes. And it's this beautiful... What kind of tree is that? A banyan tree? a baobab tree. A baobab tree where the root system actually looks like all these snakes. And it's this beautiful model with... That's naked, a, bo-
3: a naked with a boa constrictor. With a boa constrictor, now, she had never touched a snake before in her life.
2: Now, are these real fears that these models well, came? These are in the with?
3: real fears because this was a television show, um, a model, you know, TV show called yep. "She's Got the Look," and it was for um, women over thirty that wanted to always, pour, you know, dive into their dreams of wanting to be a model, right? So here is this um, this show, and then one of the challenges is to have them face their fears because part of Being a model is to be able to overcome your connection to your own identity and your limitations of your own identity. And so, for instance, this woman was obviously scared of spiders, so we covered her with tarantulas. These are some,
2: just so you know, these are some big spiders that she's wearing. She's
3: wearing tarantulas, like real tarantulas crawling on her.
2: Eight of them, I'd say. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: And then this woman was obviously afraid of heights, so we stuck her way up tall on this girder and this woman we stuck her way up tall on a cliff. Oh, and, and these, these are and real
2: f- f- places that they were photos? Well, actually I
3: put them on a scaffolding because it was a TV show and but they were really high up on this scaffolding. We're talking 40-50 feet in the air and I'm on a like a scissor lift photographing them and they were freaked out. Of
2: course, because, but they look so well, strong and calm and confident. It's and incredible these photos. That's
3: the thing and you have to be able to Um, you have to be able to massage people through their fear inhibitions and fears
2: and I know when we're doing it in hypnotherapy we'll do either circle desensitization or systematic desensitization where it you set the baseline of the calm that Mm -hmm. feeling right because you're tapping into emotions and then you'll actually bring up the fear and have them visualize it think about it to trigger it Mm -hmm. and then you bring them back down and bring them back up and it's hard the harder you try the harder it is to get it back up and up
3: exactly because exactly. you're
2: resensitizing to the calm.
3: Right. And when and once people tap into that calm space that you're talking about, then the fear disappears. And then it's just this magic moment where it's just me and the model. And the snake has disappeared. The height has disappeared. Everything is gone. And it's just, ah.
2: And you're holding that you space are. for them. You're yep. holding
3: that space for them. Exactly.
2: It's beautiful. Yeah.
3: So... This woman was claustrophobic. Oh, my God. She freaked. She's buried buried in sand. It's just her
2: head. No ears, just her face popping out of the sand. She
3: freaked. But the producers loved it because she made good TV. (laughs) Venus. There's Venus Williams. Venus Williams for Reebok. For Reebok, yeah. And we did these two things. We had her as Venus herself, you know, like the goddess Venus, up on a pedestal looking like a, a Greek goddess. And then we had her with a guitar because... People didn't know that Venus also plays the guitar. She's a musician, so we called it Venus's other strings. Get it? Strings. Oh, That very was the, nice. the campaign. So we had her rocking out with in a you know a, a band setting. So it was interesting because that also plays on you know here's Venus Williams as a, a you know a tennis player. But let's talk about who Venus really is, and we'll sell it to Reebok. Even better. Right. Even better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I these know.
2: are just incredible photos. I mean, they go on and on of all of these famous people that, I mean,
3: yeah. you've had
2: the experience, and all of oh, them are it. just wild.
3: Captain Kirk. Yep. Do so, you know, I photographed Captain... William Shatner. I photographed him, and I'm, like, all excited because it was for Vanity Fair. And um, I got to photograph for Vanity Fair four times, which is a, a coup in anyone's cap, right? Because Vanity Fair is really hard to get into. And um, each time I got to photograph... Um, you know, usually it was on white, seamless, but I had to create these worlds to um, to encompass who this person was because it was um, needed to tell the story on white paper. So I had lots of props and stuff. So I have, you know, William Shatner. And he's standing on these giant cutout stars, stars and he's holding in one hand um, the um, the spaceship, you know, the yep. Enterprise. And in the other hand, he's sticking this doll in your face, and he's crushing it, and it's a Captain Kirk doll. So in a sense, he's crushing the past, right? And, and I'm like, yeah, now, you know, crush the spaceship. He's like, the Enterprise? Yeah, yeah, crush the Enterprise, and crush the Captain Kirk doll. And so he was, because he's a new person, he's re-identifying himself. He's an author. He's had many other acting,
2: right. really like, good acting jobs. Get so, out of the past. So it was
3: a really interesting project. Um, same thing with, like, um, uh, Donny Osmond. I have him rocking out because he's a musician. And my favorite, actually, my favorite person in the world was Florence Henderson. Because we thought of her as, like in this photograph, right? She's standing there. She's She's got her foot stamped on the, 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 the burnt muffins. And... And she's, um, and then with her other hand, she's um, watering the the dead flower pot with um, with the coffee because she's looking at you and she's saying, I've, "I'm a busy woman. I'm not the mother you thought I was right. because now I've got my own thing going on." So in my work, I like to break their perceived identities and bring them into the who you are now identity.
2: And when we come back from the break, we're gonna talk more about that idea of identity, breaking your identity, and how it's related to your life. So when we come back, that's what we'll do. See you after the break.
1: Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Visit the Theta Spring hypnosis store to find out more about our home hypnosis programs and detox systems. Our hypnosis programs bring the power of our therapy to the comfort of your own home or on your mobile device. Our detox system has been formulated as the first ever mind and body detox. The Burn and Build Body 14-Day Anti-Aging Detox Kit is a food-based detox that has an optional subconscious support program. Stay committed and create sustainable change while cleansing your body. Visit Betaspring.com forward slash store. We have a special 15% discount for our listeners. Use promo code VA15 at checkout.
4: On It's Absolutely All About You, host Eileen Nunez bases her show on the forthcoming book of the same name. If you've been taught to hold your head high and keep your self-esteem in check, where do you go if you aren't yet achieving that goal? Each program is based on a chapter of the book and comes from Eileen's many years of experience in order to help you find your inner peace. Listen for It's Absolutely All About You, live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
2: Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the
0: Voice America Empowerment Channel voiceamericaempowerment.com
1: You're listening to Metal Sherpa by Theta Spring. To reach Alexandra Janelli or her guest on today's program, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aginelli at thetaspring.com. Now, back to the Metal Sherpa Show.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, listeners of The Mental Sherpa Show. We're here today with photographer and writer Bradford Noble, who's also a life coach. Yeah, there you go. So here we go. (laughs) We were just talking about identities, right, and how you sort of viewed them in the famous world. Right. And I'd like to spin that onto you now to talk about sort of your identity and how it's changed, because your life took a lot of different twists as we progress through the years of your life script. Tell us a little bit about your identity and how it shifted.
3: Well it's so interesting because, you know, when you were just introducing me, um, you were like photographer Bradford Noble and then oh oh and writer Bradford Noble. Oh 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 and you know and life coach Bradford Noble. And it harkens to um to who do you call yourself and 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 how do you identify yourself. Mm -hmm. Because for instance when I was a photographer, I was a photographer for twenty years, right? And In order to be successful as a photographer, you have to be that thing. It has to be you. You have to brand yourself. You have to sell your whole entire persona package. At least that's the way I did.
2: Well, there's a lot of competition, I'm assuming, in your field.
3: And not only that, is that you have to be so like the in-demand star because – there's a huge amount of money riding on your talent, right? Yep. And it's not just me. I mean, it was all me and the stylist and the makeup and the hair and the models and the locations and the, all and the art direction and the set building and the, everything needs to work together. And hundreds of thousands, if not millions of ad buy money is resting on my photography, right? So when advertising agencies hire somebody of that caliber, they need to know that you're confident. So the whole time that I was a photographer, I had to be, oh, yes, I've just flown back from London. Oh, yes, I just went to Rio. And oh, you want a piece of me, you want a piece of me, you want a piece of me.
2: So confidence for you really played a role in who you were
3: at that time. Sure. And you had to, I mean, you really had to play this thing. And I didn't even realize it at the time because, you know, I was young. I was in my 20s and 30s that I was mostly successful, right? And, um, and when you're young and full of yourself, full of ego, because we're all into our ego centricity, yep. especially men in their 20s. It's all about ego. Um, you don't really evolve out of your ego until you're into your 30s, right? So the whole egocentricity. centricity... Um, phase of my career was perfect as a photographer because it was me 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 you want me right and they did and then once um, once the economy shifted and there stopped being the money right my career started to spiral kind of downwards and also September 11th when that happened that changed the scope of what was in demand so mm-hmm. electric, um, jarring imagery, which was my pop sensibility, was no longer in style. They wanted soothing, they wanted calm, and then they discovered that they could get that with stock photography.
0: Mm. So then
3: all of a sudden they're like, well, we're not going to pay $10,000 a day to hire this photographer. We're just going to pay $150 to try and use his pictures if we want that style.
2: Interesting. So right. re- 9-11 changed a lot, not only well, in certainly for the me, way yeah. that we all know how it did, but right. I didn't even realize... I didn't even think of that, how it could affect sort of the photography industry.
3: Oh, well, it shut down the advertising agencies. I mean, it shut down advertising completely in New York City for several months. I mean, like nothing was happening. Right. And then so I started shooting more, obviously, for magazines and stuff. But um, but there's less money in magazines. So more creativity, but less money. So
2: your identity in those at this time really began to shift. So what happened with the confidence level in terms of selling yourself?
3: Well in that terms I had an agent at the time and she was like I need more advertising images from you you need to do more tests that are on the advertising level and I'm like why don't you use this stuff that I'm shooting for these you know magazines I mean I'm shooting for Maxim right. like I was shooting for Maxim when it was in its heyday Maxim had a lot of money so I shot for them every week and it was a cash cow for me and and it was fun we had all these crazy I'm sure stuff that we did you know you know babes making them all sexy and oh um, it was really funny actually <laughs> it was hysterical but I loved those those years. But, um, but then I was butting heads against my agent because she was like, we can't use this silly, funny, sexy stuff. We need, like, Clorox. We, so it know. sort of
2: started compromising your vision, right? With, is that a fair statement? That there's sort of a way that you wanted to be seen in the world and what you wanted to show people. And then... The industry was demanding something different of you.
3: It, well, yes. And certainly my agent at the time was. And no fault of her own. She was just trying to make a buck for both of us, you know. But um, I had st- – I was still in my egocentricity. And I still was, I was like, well, I'm an artist. I want to do what I want to do. Okay. You know, and if somebody's hiring me to do something, then obviously that's easy. I'll do that because it's in front of me and somebody's offering me work. Mm-hmm. And who cares if it's usable? I mean, sell me uh, however you can sell me. That's your job. So, anyway, I left that agent and went to another one that was all about fashion, and they crumbled, and then I went to another one, and he crumbled. So this was all when these agencies were folding right and left. So before I knew it, several years down the line, I was... um, hardly making any money. I was out of an agency. I didn't have any representation. I was representing myself. And I was getting ad jobs, at, like the advertising job still, right. you know, for several years, but like one or two a year. Okay. Right. But big ad jobs, they can set that I mean you can coast on, you know, making 30, 40 grand, you know, once or twice a year if you're careful with your money. So that's what I did for several years. And at that time, I was struggling with the identity of, oh, no, I'm a failure. So my identity is I'm no longer a successful photographer. Yeah. I'm now a, a struggling artist. A struggling artist. And I realized at the time that even during my success, it was never um, good enough. So you would coast on. I would be like, oh, I just shot this huge you know worldwide ad campaign for Microsoft. And then the next day I was like, OK, so what's next?
2: You know I think I hear that all the time in my office that I'm not good enough. I failed.
3: I'm not good enough. And we
2: talk about it so often on the mental Sherpa show. Mm -hmm. And I talk about it so often with my clients that it's how do you begin to look at your life script? And I'm sure you know all this um, stuff being a life coach yourself, but it's how do you look at these moments as opportunities to do in some ways the rebrand or how do you pivot and say, you know, maybe the universe is sending me a message that, there's something else going on, that it's been happening for me, not to me. Yeah, it but it's hard because, you know, those messages from the
3: mind of you're a failure, they're hard to overcome. Oh, super hard. I mean, it was crushing. I was I was out of an identity. I was no longer a photographer. My my world crumbled. And then all of a sudden I had to reinvent myself because I was still attached to the idea of identity and how mm. important identity was. So then I was like, OK, fine, I'll be a writer now. So I had this column for um Gay.com and plan it out. And it was a dating column. This was also when I was single and trying to find love, right? Okay. So I was the fairy Brad. stamp
2: us if you don't mind. <laughs> oh, okay. So
3: this was what uh, 2005, okay. 2000, two, 2007, okay. 2005 Great.
2: to seven. You're um, living in Manhattan still. Living in Manhattan
3: yeah. still in my fabulous three bedroom, two bath apartment on the on the Hudson. You know, trying to pay for it and um, writing these articles about you know New York City dating so uh, they branded Which, me as the fairy bradshaw love it isn't that funny incredible so and then that um out of that i then wrote a book about dating called dating bradford that Which was also
2: is an incredible book incredible book having read it it it's going to blow your mind
3: <laughs> it's very funny
2: it is hysterical it's wild it's
3: raw and it's an honest book yeah well it's It's funny, but it's also really um, brutal. Like friends of mine would read it and they're just like, I had no idea you were so sad. And I was like, well, I spin it in a funny way. But actually, there's quite a bunch, a lot of sadness in in the dating experience because you're really looking for love. And at the same time, you're going through all these experiences and sharing them.
2: Well, you're working on yourself. And I think what people forget about dating, as we talked about with um, Ashley Kaler in our The Matchmaker in a couple uh, episodes before, you're really going out there to work on yourself, too. There's so much that you discover about yourself, mm-hmm. right? Because even when you get to know yourself and who you are, there's then this experience of who are you now with someone else? Exactly. And do you like who you are when you're with that person?
3: Yes, and does your criteria line up with their criteria?
2: Yep. Dating's hard.
3: It's it's brutal, actually. I mean, especially in New York City, where people's criteria are... It's a horse race. Well, not only that, it's totally unrealistic. I mean, like, if you're... You know, I had somebody that I dated, and we couldn't we couldn't continue seeing each other because we had different work schedules. He went to bed at you know eight or nine o'clock at night, and I'm like, I don't even finish work until eight o'clock, you right. know. So, um, and it has
2: nothing to do with not liking them, right? Exactly.
3: It's the it's criteria, and so people have all these expectations about if I were to fall in love, it would have to be X, Y, and Z, and because that's what I need for my identity, and um, and of course, that's not true because the man that I'm with now, who I married and I'll be with forever, he was totally different than anything that I thought that I wanted
2: the case of the supposed tos <laughs> the supposed yeah,
3: exactly, so do we want to wrap it around to the identity thing again? It's just like you're 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 showing up in a dating situation and you're you're carrying who you are to introduce, and that's your your dating identity, right. right? Which is a personal thing, right? Because you're, you're, there's what you do for money, and then there's who you are as a person. And um, when I was a photographer, those blended. And when I was a writer, those blended because I was dating Bradford, the writer. Right. And I was dating people. And they were like, you're not going to write about me. And I'm like, um, unquote. You know, I'm right. totally right about like, them. Like
2: on the record. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> yes.
3: I'm going to actually tell your entire story tomorrow in my column which is due at noon. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> so there has been a lot of transformation within your whole persona and to where you are now. And so tell me a little bit about, you know, your transition into life coaching. Cuz that's a whole different a totally bang. different
3: thing. I mean, going from, you know, celebrity fashion advertising photographer to you know a life coach it's a very diff- very different don't identity. forget
2: writer uh,
3: writer right let's all not forget writer right
2: uh,
3: even though my <laughs> publisher went out of business um
2: well that all happened
3: I think it started because I I on a lark I did this course called landmark forum sure right, right. I've heard of it it was great. It was a three day course. I called it like super therapy in three days. It was the best five hundred dollars I ever spent. I swear to you. But it was like um, a three day volatile transformation that gave me um, this this toolbox of skills, uh, for for which I could use to look at the my life and look at the experiences that I was having and recategorizing them because really all of our experiences are just perceived. Experiences. Absolutely. So you can perceive them in totally different ways, especially if you're able to pull yourself out of the experience and look at it and go, wow, I'm noticing that I'm really upset by that. Yep. Instead of being really fucking upset. Right. I'm sorry, should I not say fucking? Yeah. <laughs> it's all
2: right. Why not?
3: <laughs> fucking. Okay, go ahead. Express yourself. <laughs> Express yourself.
2: No. Own it. And it's normal to have those reactions. But... Mm. It's asking yourself. I think what you're saying is, how do you pull back to inspect it to go, what's really going on here?
3: Exactly, and um, so that led into. Um, well, I found that I had a knack for um, not only uh, looking at myself, but helping other people's look at themselves. Because I was just like, dude, why do you? Why do you need to dive into that upset? You don't need to be so attached to the upset. You could just say, like, well, okay, I get it. You're coming from that place. I don't need to come from that place, and it doesn't need to affect me in a negative way just because somebody else is having their effect. Right. So it's the attachment. And so once we can start dropping attachment, for instance, attached to who you are, right? Because that's the identity thing again. It's like if you're like, how dare you treat me like that? That's a statement about I'm this person that you should behave differently toward instead of I'm just a person. So that's the attachment to identity. And once Mm -hmm. you start dropping attachment, then you could be like, well, that's interesting that you just called me that name. Um,
2: What were you attached to in terms of your identity that you needed to let go of or inspect?
3: I needed to be rich and famous. Okay. I, I moved to New York to be rich and famous. That was my goal. For 20 years, I wanted to be rich and famous, and I never got rich enough or famous enough Ever.
2: There's that word, enough.
3: Enough, right?
2: Where was the bar? Or did you have a bar looking back? That's
3: the funny thing is that when you're chasing that dragon, you're never going to get there. Because it's such a, it's a, it's a farce, right? So the more money I made, um, it wasn't enough. The 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 more famous I became, it wasn't enough. Well, you
2: kind of adapt to that level. It's kind of like when you get a pay increase or a bonus, you kind of adapt to that level of income to spending it the same way. Mm-hmm. It, isn't that why they say most people who win the lottery end up back where they started maybe. despite having like millions of dollars?
3: Well, let's try it. Maybe I should win the lottery and then I can and then we'll have another interview, you can tell me. Perfect. So now that you're a multi billionaire <laughs> Yeah.
2: How does life feel now? Do you have enough?
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly So you need to, to
2: let go of that identity of the rich and famous.
3: Yeah, and I and I um And, you know, and now where I am today, and we can, we'll get there if we, and perhaps in the next segment after the break, but um, where I am today, like, I've made the least amount of money I've ever made last year, and I'm the most happy I've ever been.
2: Well, so what I'm hearing you say is that money and happiness aren't necessarily correlated for you.
3: Not anymore, but I had to do a lot of work to get there. Okay. And so, um, I don't, it was a fascinating Transition. Fascinating journey, I'm sure, yeah.
2: that we're going to get into when we come back from the break to talk about how you began to let go of some identity and where you ended up with your identity now, because it's it's been a transformation as it always is for everybody. Yeah. So when we come back from the break, we will be rejoined with Bradford to talk about that. We'll be right back. <laughs>
1: Visit the Theta Spring hypnosis store to find out more about our home hypnosis programs and detox systems. Our hypnosis programs bring the power of our therapy to the comfort of your own home or on your mobile device. Our detox system has been formulated as the first ever mind and body detox. The Burn and Build Body 14-Day Anti-Aging Detox Kit is a food-based detox that has an optional subconscious support program. Stay committed and create sustainable change while cleansing your body. Visit Betaspring.com forward slash store. We have a special 15% discount for our listeners. Use promo code VA15 at checkout.
4: On It's Absolutely All About You, host Eileen Nunez bases her show on the forthcoming book of the same name. If you've been taught to hold your head high and keep your self-esteem in check, where do you go if you aren't yet achieving that goal? Each program is based on a chapter of the book and comes from Eileen's many years of experience in order to help you find your inner peace. Listen for It's Absolutely All About You, live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
2: Find out what makes the most successful people tick.
0: Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel voiceamericaempowerment.com
1: You're listening to Metal Sherpa by Theta Spring. To reach Alexandra Janelli or her guest on today's program, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aginelli at ThetaSpring.com. Now, back to The Metal Sherpa Show.
2: Welcome back from the break, everybody. We're here with Bradford Noble, photographer, writer, life coach, and transformation expert and magician. <laughs> I love that I'm an expert.
3: Could <laughs> I can add that to my <laughs> list of identities today. Why
2: limit yourself to just
3: those? You yeah. know, even
2: to... Even to say I'm a photographer, I'm a life coach would be limiting because you're so much more just as everybody is.
3: Well, you know, oddly enough, and it's so funny that we're throwing the titles around because now I just, I, people are like, what are you doing now? Aren't you taking pictures now? Aren't you doing this now? And I'm like, well, right now I'm I'm a La Jolla housewife. Is right. I, <laughs> that's my new identity. I mean, I joke about it. And you keep it. a
2: beautiful house. I can tell you, I am here with a beautiful yard, with a deck. It overlooks uh, the ocean. It's incredible. It's so it's wonderful thank you for welcoming here. me into your home to do this with you today.
3: Sure. Well, and that was a whole other thing. People people always want to know what I'm doing now. They always ask me, that's the first thing out of their mouth, is what are you shooting now? And I'm like, nothing. What does that tell <laughs> you
2: about how people view you?
3: Well, I I mean, everyone, certainly all my friends who knew me for twenty years as the photographer, um, and then as the writer um they always just expected that you know I would always be that because that's who I was and and they so funny like everyone used to think I was a funny happy person all the time and i realized that when i wasn't feeling that I could be funny and happy. Like, if I was having a really bad day... You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to.
2: <laughs> Sorry, Bradford. You're see? just a happy person. How dare you have a bad day?
3: Exactamente. So I um, I would remove myself from people because they just expected that um, I was always happy and silly. They're like, oh, you always cheer me up. And I'm like, well, you know, it'd be great if you could cheer me up today because I'm having well, a bad day. it's
2: funny how that happens, these expectations. I see it all the time, and we talked about it um, on the show p- before. These expectations that people have of you to be a certain way and how you show up for them. And you create these sort of codependent relationships where they need you to be that person. Exactly. And they get a lot out of it. And the moment you're not, they're like, I don't want to be around you.
3: Yeah. Well, it was also a huge transition with, with my husband, George, because he was he was just like, well, why don't you just be a photographer again? Because, you know, we moved to San Diego from New York City. You know, San Diego's lovely. It's paradise. But um, he's like, well, why don't you be a photographer here? And I'm like, well, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do with my time. But, you know, I'm going to renovate the house. I'm going to, you know, put in a new kitchen, change the bathroom. We're putting in a pool right now. I'm yep. doing my gardening. So all that is keeping me busy. Well, I send George to work, of course. Right. Someone's <laughs> so, got to make
2: the bacon. Bring on the
3: bacon, I will cook it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, um, but, you know, we do okay because, you know, I have some property that I'm managing, sure. that, that I managed to buy when I had the money in upstate New York that's rented out. So we barely scrape by with the bills because we have just a little bit, you know, of income that keeps us afloat. But it's the first time in my life where I was just like, well... If we have enough to live on and we don't splurge, isn't that just fine? Isn't that okay? Well, how do you become okay
2: with? How do you give yourself... How did you give yourself permission to say, you know what? It is fine.
3: Well, that was a struggle, actually. A huge one because I... um,
2: Well, there's an identity crisis going on there.
3: Well, of course. And I think a lot of people go through this because, you know, you have that midlife crisis. But how many people that you know have changed careers? So imagine if you're fresh out of college, you went to school for a certain thing, you get into a job of that thing, and you realize, I hate finance. I
2: call them the quarter-life crisis. It's like the 26-year-olds I work with. Right. Everyone's like, so first I get thrown out of school to go live my life, and right. I have to be an adult, and yet at 26, I'm supposed to have figured it out and be making all this money, be married, have 2.5 kids, right. and be happy, and I'm not.
3: Yeah. Yeah exactly and it's why because it's
2: just like the supposed to's again a case of the supposed to's i'm supposed to have it figured out now and i don't and that expectation of i'm supposed to all of a sudden you're in like who am i supposed to be done
3: i i i have like the utmost sympathy for the millennials because now it's just like that's my generation we i just eked
2: in you just eked in
3: (laughs) Yeah, I just eked out of the baby boomer. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm fully rooted in Generation X. Okay, Woo-hoo! so there's, there's me. But, um, but yeah, it's a matter of like um re-evaluating, you know, because here's the system that when, when our parents were alive, it was like, okay, you, you grow up, you work hard, you go to school, you get a good education, and then you get a good job, and then you're able to buy a house. Well, that's all gone.
2: Well, and they try, you know, they domesticate us because it's our parents to teach Mm. us what worked for them is going to work for us.
3: And it's not true anymore. It's not true anymore. So people have to figure it out along the way. And a lot of the times it's a rude awakening because it's just like I have to take a $10 an hour job, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can't survive on a $10 an hour job. Or can you? Well, I guess one could. One could. I certainly have no $10 an hour job, and I'm fine. So um,
2: So you gave yourself permission, but it took a lot of work to get to where you are to be okay with, you know, we're, we have enough. That's yes. That's that word again, enough.
3: Do we have enough. And also, you know, it was really interesting. I photographed one time Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you know. Sure. Of course. The power of now. It's totally. And here I am backstage with Eckhart Tolle, and we're we're... And the Dalai Lama, of all things, you know, so we're at this summit, this, you know, peace summit, and I'm photographing the Dalai Lama, Eckhart Tolle, and Maria Shriver's there, and uh, Desmond Tutu, and all these famous people, and I'm having a conversation backstage in the green room with Eckhart Tolle, and, and I was like, so what are you working on now? Like, I love your books, and what, what is, what's the thing you're doing now? And he said, I'm just working on being. And I'm like, oh, come on. You know that's just a catchphrase, right? right? And he's just like, "No, I'm really just being
2: it's so hard to just be. I mean we it sounds so simple, right? Just be yeah, let it be
3: well, I think it's hard because you we're 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 wired that being isn't enough. You have to be doing something doing you can't just be and the and so now I'm really working on being. Um, in whatever I'm doing. So right now, it's like, it's kind of luxurious in a way because I'm just like, it's such a beautiful day. I really want to work in the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to breathe these paint fumes in the kitchen anymore. Uh-huh. And so I'll just stop what I'm doing and I'll go out and I'll just plant stuff or weed or whatever and it and smell the air and feel the sun. and Be present. And be present. And that's so important. And um, once I was able to dive into the... Um, the the pure happiness of being like the okay i'm just being then i was like wow this is this feels really good so i don't i don't know what's next for me and i'm okay with not knowing
2: isn't it amazing when you sort of accept the unknown as a positive opportunity versus the anxious worry and fear there's such a shift that happens
3: Totally. And I'm also one of these fatalists. I don't know if that's the right word, but I I've always had the right thing happens for me when it's supposed to. And it's always been true for me. Right. So if something comes along like here by this, you know, money pit fixer upper building in upstate New York, even though you're having a failing photography career. Which I did, and for like hundred and fifty thousand, which was nothing to nothing. buy a building, right? Hundred and fifty-year-old building, beautiful. So I renovated this thing and rented it out. And fortunately, um, I did that because you know it's helping pay the bills. But at the time, it was like everyone's like, "You're crazy. You should be working on your career. You should be this. You should the be shoulds. that. The shoulds." So now I'm really okay with. I'm sure that the right thing will come along that's going to push me in the next direction. But right now, I'm focusing on what I'm doing now. And I'm I'm okay with the uncertainty. And I'm okay with the right now. And I'm okay letting go of all those identities that defined me before.
2: I think it's such a beautiful way that you put it. And it's something that I've been having a conversation with some other people as well, is that as you get older, you start to see a pattern of what your twenties represented, what your thirties represented, right? Twenty, it's kinda like figuring out like, who am I in the work field? Who am I as the person who's about to build a family? The thirties is sort of like you're a little bit more settled in your life. And then you get into the forties where it's different too, where you really get to know yourself better. Um, I feel I think it was David Bowie who said, Man, if I had known myself as well as I do now, I would have had a totally different experience in my twenties. Sure. And it so... Tell us about sort of your takeaway from where you are now of your identity process. What's your takeaway for yourself?
3: Well, it has to do with feeling comfortable in transition, which is huge for people. People do not do well in transition mostly. And
2: yet we're transitioning every day. Well.
3: Obviously, but it's not obvious right. to most people, of course, because they don't do well. They like their segmented experiences. They like to know what they're doing this week, next week, next month, you know. And um, and transition is a very unsettling thing. That's why moving is so stressful for people. It's awful. Changing jobs is stressful for people. Death is stressful for people because it's transition. And to be comfortable with transition is is truly. It's a difficult task, you know, because it's it challenges you on so many levels.
2: I think in terms of when I think about it, too, transition poses the expectation that you're supposed to know what's going to happen. Exactly. And I, I was speaking with, I, God, it was a colleague of mine who said, you know, death is a very hard thing to go through as a transition. What can typically make it easier is people who have spirituality or religion because mm-hmm. it puts it into a much bigger perspective that it gives you something else to sort of lean on mm-hmm. and that there's something bigger at play not in, tr- in that sense with death right you have a belief system around death transition's tricky because you're sort of letting go into what might happen
3: mm-hmm. Well, how do you trust you it? just mentioned a very key word which is perspective it's all about your perspective, and you can change your perspective. I had a, a friend of mine that was going through um, a stalking situation. Fun, yeah, because it was <laughs> you know her ex husband who was abusive, and and in her perspective, she said, "Well, I could either stay here and be stalked, or I can move, and he'll still find me." And I said, "That's really interesting." that you think that those are your only two options.
2: It's all about options, right? How do you create an option?
3: And I said to her, it's a matter of perspective. You could say, um, you could live in the fear mm. of that, and it's real, it's of course. It's an option, yeah. You know, and because the fear is real. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, like there was mail being tampered with and social security numbers being messed with, and, mm. like, there was real stalking Stuff. going on, right? Um But the challenge really is to find a new perspective so that you can get through all that. To
2: try it on. To just even try it on.
3: Exactly. You
2: don't have to buy into it, but it's just trying it on. And that comes up a lot on my show. It's how do you try on these perspectives? You're going to find, right, every action we take or Mm -hmm. inaction always comes with a thought and an emotion. And when you try on these different perspectives, you're going to have a different thought or a different emotion tied with them, too. And you're going to begin to say, well, maybe I will try that thought on for a little while or that emotion on. Mm-hmm,
3: just to give it a whirl, at yeah. least, you know, because otherwise you're you're stuck in the suffering. You know, there's, there's the suffering perspective. A lot of people are stuck in suffering about whatever they're going through. Well,
2: pain is inevitable, right? We're well, all going to experience pain, yeah. but the suffering part is an option. But it's and how for-
3: long you let yourself suffer because, okay, I like to suffer. When I'm having a bad day, I just dive right in.
2: Right. I watch Permission sad movies.
3: to be the victim. <laughs> I binge-watch Star Trek Voyager and cry because Catherine Janeway always brings me to tears. <laughs> Seriously. Catherine, bring me the tears. I don't want to see Neelix today. Right. Release. Let me
2: release. <laughs> exactly.
3: So life. you could dive into the, um, the suffering, but it's crucial to know that you know, first of all, to give yourself permission to go through whatever a big you want. Word. Totally permission to feel whatever perspective you're feeling and knowledge to know that you can change and shift your perspective. It's just a shift. Yep. To be able to pull yourself out and look at it and go, "Okay, what else is possible here?"
2: Right. And we talk about in episode 2 if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Mental Sherpa show, the different energy levels and how to shift them, right? Victim, fighter, rationalizer, mm-hmm. caregiver, opportunist. Just trying them on, their are options, mm-hmm. or
3: even aloof, remove. But first,
2: you have to have that awareness of something's happening around, to you or around you going on. And you
3: also have to have the wherewithal to know that you have that power. A lot of people don't know that they are they are they have the power to yeah. shift their perspective. It's crucial to know that you have the power to shift your perspective.
2: Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And so it sounds like you've done. In your life, of all these different identities, there really was a core identity of who you are.
3: And I finally have tapped into that. And I'm finally um, at peace. That's a beautiful word to use, to be at
2: peace with yourself. Mm -hmm. And so would you be able to say who you are, like, or describe that peace? Or is it just... Yeah, I could say who I am. Please do. I'm Bradford. Excellent. And that's such a nice way to sort of come around to that. That I am Bradford and it's Yeah. That's who I am.
3: And, and there's no there's no qualifi- there's no qualifier. It's just I'm just me. <laughs> and I'm totally happy with it.
2: Excellent. <laughs> and if you went back to your twenties, what would he say to you now?
3: He would say, um, get busy, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say you get busy. you got more energy for both of us. <laughs> right.
2: So it's okay to be the you at 20 who wanted f- rich and famous, mm-hmm. but you're realizing now where you are, you have probably had to go through all of that. Oh,
3: with zero regrets. I have no regrets in my life.
2: Well, Bradford, it has been such a pleasure to come into your home and to talk with you about everything that you have done and all of your life script and history, to come around to just... To see you, I see you, just sitting here as you. And so thank you for letting me in. Well, thanks so much for having me. This is
3: really interesting for me to talk to you.
2: Excellent. Well, Bradford, thank you. And to my listeners, join us next week as we continue with the Mental Sherpa show.
1: Have a great rest of your day. Thank you again for tuning into Mental Sherpa by Theta Spring. Host Alexandra Janelli hopes you'll join her for another edition next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we meet again, have a nice week.